0: Mm-hmm. We've been talking the past few weeks on this subject of guardrails. We're going to continue that day. In fact, today I want to kind of tie a bow on this whole series and and try to just bring us to a point where each and every every one of us understand how important guardrails are. So would you take your Bibles today, go to the Old Testament book of Daniel, and as you're doing that, let me greet our campuses who are joining with us today. My name is Eddie Couples. I'm the lead pastor for Love and Truth Ministries, and I'm glad you're with us. I know you've already experienced the presence of God today. Great things are happening there in your location. Now let's get ready to see what God. is going to speak to us through his word today now we've been talking about this whole thing about guardrails and why they're necessary in fact we even put one here on the stage so that it reminds you every time you came in what we're talking about today i'm going to be talking on this subject i'm going to be talking about take a stand would you say that with me take a stand come on let's say it better Take a stand, all right? That's what we're going to be talking about uh, this week. Now, let me me remind you about what guardrails are about. What is the definition of a guardrail? Here's the definition. A guardrail is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. Now, how many of you found that to be true? Okay, this week I was in in Dallas, and I was driving back, uh, which I don't recommend, but anyway, I was driving back from Dallas, Sherry told me I could do no more road trips, my ADD kicks in. So anyway, uh, but I I passed this sign, and it, it caught my attention because what I'm doing, here's what the sign said, it said, caution, guardrail damage ahead. I thought that was kind of cool I thought man that really goes right along uh, with what I'm talking about because all of us understand that if the guardrail gets damaged and we're not paying attention then we wind up on the other side of the guardrail and that's where trouble is now let me explain to you the guardrail is not the area of danger the guardrail is placed just on this side of danger but if the guardrail is not there then you have a whole lot better chance of winding up in the ditch you find your yourself winding up on the side of a mountain somewhere if you don't have a guardrail. That's why the Department of Transportation says, okay, we think in certain areas you need guardrails. But not only are we talking about guardrails in the natural, but as believers, we need guardrails in our life. And so let me, let me give you our definition of what we've been talking about as far as guardrails are concerned in our life. Guardrails, here's, here's what we said. It's a standard of personal behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. Now get that. I hope you're writing that down. Get get what a guardrail is. It's a standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. And that's what we want in your life. We want you to get some things established in your life so that you don't find yourself in destruction. Now, we've talked about a lot of things, and, and, and we, we've, we've talked about the whole aspect uh, of your friendship. We've talked about the whole aspect of, of abstinence in certain areas. We've talked about the whole aspect of, of you know, sexuality. I mean, we've, we've talked about money. I mean, if you name it, we've talked about it over the past few weeks. And so today, we're, we're going to kind of be dealing with what I, I want to refer to as this tension that we all feel. There's always a draw in our our lives to that which is unhealthy to that which is inappropriate to that which is addictive in our lives everybody experiences that the most holy person you know experiences a pull in the areas uh, that, that are just destructive either in their finances or in their relationships or in their walk with God or whatever it may be. Now, the, the problem with guardrails or the seeming problem with guardrail is is that they block us from something that at the moment feels good. I mean, for right now, boy, if, I could, if I could do that now, and then I'd feel good, but but he, but here's here's our issue. again we're in this tension. You know, uh, I, I don't want to give. I want to spend. I, I don't want to work on my marriage. I just want a new one. Well, we're going to have fun today. I don't want to study. I just want the degree. I don't want discipline. I want fun. I I, I don't want to be a role model. Uh, I I just want to be happy. Don't worry, B. Yeah. You know, I want to be skinny, but I want to eat. Come on. We can invent that pill. Everybody would be signing up, wouldn't they? And, 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 you know. I know I shouldn't have dinner with her or with him, but, you know, just right now at the moment it feels good. And so that, that you know, that's, that's kind of what we've been dealing with. And so in, in this whole process, uh, it's interesting how we have this tension. Everybody here would agree and everybody listening today would agree that guardrails are wonderful on the highway. But, you know, it's all this other stuff, Pastor. It's this thing about, you know, you gave us guidelines for married people, and you gave us guidelines for single people, and you gave us guidelines in our relationships, and you gave us guidelines about our money. And we, you know, it's just obtrusive. It's it's just annoying. In fact, I just think it's unnecessary. And, and that's kind of where we live. That's kind of how we live. And so in, in this process, we, we've got to come to that place of understanding that today, I, I kind of want to bring us into reality. I want to I give you a healthy dose of reality today, and that is this. The tension isn't going away either way. If you give free vent to your desires, it doesn't mean you're going to stop having desires. If you have the greatest dessert that's ever been made today, tomorrow you'll want something else. If, if you cross the line in your sexual relationship, it's not going to be enough. You're going to cross it in something. in whatever it is, it's, it's always that pull. It's always that deal. It's always if I cheat on my diet once, uh, then I'll be tempted to cheat again. And, and the, the temptation never satisfies. The temptation never really brings you to a place of fulfillment. We live in a society that since the 60s has been experimenting with this. We have said uh, since the 60s that if it feels good, do it, right? If it feels good, do it. What that means is is if I desire it, I want it. And here's what we always say, as long as I don't hurt anyone else. Who are you fooling? Come on, who are you fooling? Who are, who are you playing games with? I mean, it, it, all, your life always affects somebody else. But, but we, we've lived this, and now we are beginning to reap a harvest of psychological, spiritual, physical, emotional damage that is unequaled, I believe, in the history of the world. We live in one of the most addictive societies, if not the most addictive society that there has ever been. Why? Because we have said... If it feels good, do it. And so we do it, but after a while, that doesn't satisfy. And so guess what? We have to go a little bit further, and then that doesn't satisfy, and then we go a little bit further. And it's, it's this continuum that you get on that brings destruction. And so if you abandon your ethics in this deal at your business, then the next time you're going to be tempted to, to even go to a higher level, to a greater extreme, on and on and on. And so we, we constantly are battling this thing. And, and here's what I found. Whatever line you cross, it will not decrease the temptation to cross the next line. In fact, what it will do is it will pull you even further that way. If if you cross that line, then you're going to want to cross that line, and then that line before long is not going to be enough, and you're going to find yourself moving further and further and further away from what you want to do. Nobody wants to wind up addicted to anything. The first time somebody picks up a six-pack, they do not say, I want to be an alcoholic. The first time somebody smokes weed, they don't say, I want to become a drug addict. The first time somebody steps across the line in their relationship, they don't want to say, I'm going to be an adulterer and bust up my marriage. We never, ever say this is what we want but our problem is is that every time we cross one line it makes it easier to cross the next line and so there's always this anxiety there's always the temptation there's always the pressure there's always the stuff that we find ourselves that we cannot finally fulfill it and so we're, we're constantly searching I mean you get the new car guess what you know you buy the car you can't afford to impress people you don't like And two years later, it's a beat-up wreck, and you got to start in the process again, and now you're $20,000 over, and it's a mess, but you got to do it again because you're trying to impress somebody, or you're trying to get that feeling. And, oh, that feeling, when I get that feeling. And so we find ourselves in destruction time and time and time again. Here's, here's what I found out about appetites. Let me ask this question first. For those of you watching and those of you here, how many of you have appetites? I'm just trying to see who's not raising their hand because they're just lying in the church. All right? Come on, everybody has appetites. Just oh no, I'm, I'm controlling. You still have appetites. Well, everybody, I mean, it's I'm not talking about just natural eating. I'm talking about appetites in general. And here's the deal about appetites: appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. Come on, you, you ever been and, and you've, I, I mean, how many times at the end of a great meal you have said tomorrow, I'm starting a diet. In fact, I don't think I want to eat again ever. It's going to be so easy to get on that diet tomorrow. But guess what? How many of you have ever fasted? Anybody ever fasted? Now, listen, listen I, I'm, I'm not a great faster. I've fasted in my life. And, and what I've found is is that even, you know, normally I don't, I don't eat breakfast a lot of times until later in the morning because I get up early and do stuff. So. But, but if I'm fasting, I mean, the moment my eyes open, I'm hungry. It's like I could eat, you know, a whole pound of bacon and 12 eggs. I mean, I I could just, at that moment, why? Because your appetites are never satisfied. It's this continuum, And so we cheat on this, we get a habit here, and and that habit now becomes a problem. That habit now begins to rule us. That habit becomes the thing that is destructive. Now, I want to tell you, guardrails are annoying. They kind of block the scenery sometimes. They really are not have-to things, but I want to tell you, not having guardrails can be devastating. Amen. At some point, now, now here's the deal, at some point everybody wants to draw the line. I, I mean, you know, once we get through that adulterous affair and we finally get remarried, then we're not going to do that anymore. Once we have that house although we can't pay for it but once we get that then everything and and what happens is is that we're always in this struggle we're always in this place because we we don't want to draw lines We don't want to take a stand, and that's what we're talking about, take a stand. There's got to be somebody in this world who wakes up, especially believers, who wake up and say, you know what? It's needful for us to take a stand. Here's what I believe for Christians. I believe Christians have been called to draw some lines, not just to keep you out of trouble. Now, I I do believe they keep you out of trouble. But I don't think that the only reasons we need guardrails and drawing a line and taking a stand is to keep us out of trouble. I believe that doing that honors God. I believe that God is pleased when we say, you know what? I could, but I won't. i I, I could involve myself there, but I won't get involved in that because I'm going to make a stand because I want to please God. It's more important for me to please God than it is for me to please my flesh. And so that's what guardrails are all about. Guardrails are not about legalism. Guardrails are not about uh, some kind of clothesline preaching or whatever your idea may be. Guardrails are about protection. Guardrails are about Things in our lives that we say, you know what? Because I know how I am. Now, now, we love to say, well, I I know how they are. And it's been hilarious in this series. How many people have come to me and said, man, I'm going to get that for my kids? Pastor, I'm buying this whole series for them. Praise God. I want your children to have it. I want them to hear it five years, ten years down the road, but could it possibly be that this series is not just for them? It might be for you. It, it's, it's interesting how we can deflect, how we can. And, and so here's, here's what a lot of us do, even as Christians at times. We, we kind of live in this tension. We want our mate to do certain things. We want our children to live certain ways. We want our pastor to live certain ways. We want, but, but when it comes to us, we're the exception. And yet, every time we cross that line, we find ourselves closer to the abyss where we find destruction coming into our lives. And so it's needful for us to draw some lines. Now, let's let's get biblical here. That'd be all right. Let's talk out of the Bible. Uh, The book of Daniel is is written to us from about 605 B.C., uh, and it records the happening of of a king named Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar ruled uh, in Babylon, which actually in this day and age, which, which is what we would call Iraq. It's the Iraq area that he was the ruler of. He was the king of. And uh, in fact, Saddam Hussein kind of patterned his whole kingdom uh, after Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And, and what we find is, is that Nebuchadnezzar and his army were, were great warriors. And they would go in and they would defeat nations and they would take them captive, etc. But there was something that was different about Nebuchadnezzar than there was about other kingdoms, and that is, is instead of him just killing everybody and wiping them out, he would tell his soldiers, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find the brightest. I want you to find the royalty. I want you to find the best-looking people, and I want you to save them, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring them back to Babylon, and then I am going to train them, and I'm going to use their abilities to further my kingdom. Now, that's interesting, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And, and so what, what we find is in the book of Daniel, the first chapter, I, I want you to look in the fifth verse, and we'll, we'll read a few verses today as we kind of unpack this whole thing here. All right, Daniel chapter 1, verse 5 says, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Now, here's what took place. When Daniel and, and uh, his, his friends, and, and they were literally, it's according to what you read and who you read, but th- there were hundreds, if not thousands, of young men and women that had been taken into captivity. And, and when they got there, they were given different kind of clothes, They were given different haircuts. In fact, their heads were shaved. Their ears were pierced. There were were several things that went one after the other to change them. And and here's what King Nebuchadnezzar was doing. He was trying to reorient them toward his worldview. I don't miss it because we're going somewhere. And and so Daniel kind of did some of the stuff. He kind of went through some things. But when they brought out the king's food and the king's wine, the next verse says that Daniel said that he would not defile himself with the king's food. In other words, the problem was, not watch this, the problem was Daniel was smart enough to see what the end game really was. He said, you know what? Uh, me and my buddies have been going through a series of changes and and we've been making some compromises. And, And compromise is not always bad. There were some small insignificant steps, but he realized that if he kept taking those steps, he was going to abandon his religious beliefs and his heritage and he was going to be no different than the pagans he was living with. Can I just get in our business? As Christians, how many compromises are we going to make to be like our society? When are we going to finally stand up and say, it's enough, we're not going any further. We've made a compromise here, we've made a compromise there. We have tried to come and we have tried to be reasonable, but we will not. Watch, Daniel would not defile himself with the king's food. Two reasons for that. One reason is, scholars tell us that the king's food was offered to God's. They were offered to false deities. And so Daniel said, if I start eating what's been offered to false deities, it won't be very long until I'm worshiping that deity. You ready? If you eat at the table of the world, it won't be very long until the world rules your life. Daniel understood that, and he said, can't do it can't go there. The second aspect was, is that Daniel was a good Jewish boy. Out of the hundreds, if even thousands of young men and women, Daniel and, and three others, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego said, we will not, we will not give in to this. We're going to make a stand. Why? Because they understood that this food that had been prepared was not prepared in a kosher way. They were good Jewish boys and they had been taught to eat certain things. They knew if they began to To eat of that, it was going to strip away their religious beliefs as well. Now, watch watch how the world works. First of all, they tell us to compromise just the small things. Doesn't matter what you do, how you live, how you conduct yourself. It's okay. God's a big God. He's a God of mercy and grace. We're all going to the same place, so it doesn't matter what you believe. So we begin to do that. And then before long, they begin to tell us, you're too narrow-minded. You think Jesus is the only way. That is that is bigoted. That's wrong. And before very long, we are attacked not only in the world, but we're also attacked in our religion, and it begins to pull us down into a, a, a place where we now are living as pagans or those who don't know Christ are living. And, and so he, here's the deal about compromise, and here's what I found, is that compromise does does not erase the tension. So I give in here, but they're going to ask me to go here. So I give in there. Guess what? They're going to ask me to go there. The only thing that compromise really does is that it weakens our resolve. It, it's, we, we, we made up our mind. We took a stand. We got saved. I mean, think about it. Think about how many teenagers were on fire for God until they went to college. I mean, they were the first one at youth time. They were the first one on their face before God. They were telling everybody about Jesus, but then they got to college. And all of a sudden, the pressure of the moment began to say, you, really, you know, go to church on Wednesday night. Are you kidding me? There ain't nobody on this campus going to church on Wednesday night. Just, just lay. And, and so we start missing Wednesday night. And, and, and then, then we start missing Sunday morning. And, and then before long, we, we start hanging out on Friday night doing stuff. We, and, and before long, we have laid aside I mean, can I just talk to us? How many pure young men, young women got into a fraternity or a sorority and within the first year lost their virginity, lost their mind, and lost their sanity? You're not shouting, but I'm still preaching good. Why? Because nobody taught them to, to put guardrails in their life. We taught them how to shout, we taught them how to sing, but we didn't tell them how to put guardrails in their life. And so what, what happens to us is, is that each compromise, and this is what Daniel called, each compromise just moves the line to a new place. And so now the, the, the system begins to push you and begins to want you to go even further. Look in verse 8. We'll, we'll just drill down on this. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. That word resolve means he made up his mind. Some of you need to make up your mind. Well, Pastor, I, I just believe in the grace of God. I believe in the grace of God too. But I also believe in the Word of God. The Apostle Paul said, shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, that's pretty strong language, God forbid, how shall I that am dead to sin continue any longer therein? He said, look, there's there's a way to separate yourself from the world. So they made up their minds. They said, we're not going to do this. Go on. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Can you imagine that? Daniel's going, I'm not going to defile myself. Now watch this. Daniel should have been killed. I mean, he shouldn't have even made it. Not only does he get there and they don't put him out in the salt mines or the copper mines, they bring him to the palace and he has the audacity to look at the king's leaders and to say to them, "Uh, by the way, your food's not good enough for me. Now, can you imagine the rumble that went through the crowd? Did you hear what he just said? I can't believe he'd say that. What did you? He better shut up. They're going to cut his head on it. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure the king's guard could have looked at him and said, Daniel, do you realize you're getting the best of the best? You're getting what people would give everything to get. In fact, there are people who are starving in this city, and you're 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 talking about defiling yourself with the king's food. Now watch. Here's where we've got to get. Daniel made up his mind before he knew how the story would end. See, we read the rest of the story, and go, oh, it was great. Lions and all tigers and bears, oh my. I mean we Right? I mean we, we know we all oh, that stuff, fiery furnace, oh that's great. But but Daniel, Daniel and the three what we call the three Hebrew children did not know that if at that moment when they took that stand, if their life was over. And if their life wasn't over, were they going to be put out in slavery and, and work in, and God only knows what kind of conditions. But you know what? They went ahead and made that decision. Now, see, here's the deal. There are a lot of us as Christians, we came to Christ as Savior, but we've never experienced him as Lord. We want to be saved out of our mess. We want to be saved out of our circumstances. We want to be saved so we can go to heaven. I haven't said it in a long time. We've got a lot of Christians who all they've got is a good fire insurance policy. Woo, got a fire and so I'm not going, I'm not going to burn. I'm not going to burn, baby. I got I, I'm going to hell. Woo. that's all they've got. They have never experienced Jesus Christ as Lord. They've never one time done anything that was sacrificial in their life. Now, I, I know I'm going to a little old school, but you just gotta wake up today. Daniel made up his mind because he knew. How the story would end if he didn't make up his mind. Now, he didn't know what, but he knew that if he kept going down this path, that before it was over, he was just gonna be like the society he was living with. Can you hear me today? We are in a nation. We have now turned our back on God in so many areas. And the church is continually, year after year, we are chipping away at what we once held as sacred, honorable things before God. And I wonder in 20 years from now what the church is really going to be. Can I dare say this today? Is it a possibility that if we keep going the route we're going, that we will be of no use to the world? That we will become, as Jesus talked about, salt that needs to be thrown out because it's lost its savor. No longer does it do what it's called to do. The Bible says that if you're light, you don't hide the light under a bushel. You go up on the hilltop and you hold it up so everybody can see it. Now let me help you. When you do this, people are not going to like you. Can I just say this and just get in trouble, okay? I get a little nervous when all of our mega church preachers are loved by the world. I think they shouldn't like you on CNN. I think they shouldn't like you on the talk shows. I think that. I think that there ought to be enough saltiness that when we walk in, the wounds that are in their life get exposed to the salt of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our challenge today, our challenge as believers is deciding before we know the outcome. Before the boss walks in and says, I want you to cook the books, You've got to make up in your mind, if they ever ask me to do anything unethical, I will not do it. You can't wait until the moment of. You've got to draw a line. You've got to get a guardrail that says, if it even smells fishy, I'm not going near it. You know, there is biblical precedence for this. The Bible says that we are to shun the very It didn't even say that it had to be evil. It said it just needed to look evil. If it even looks evil, we are to shun it. I mean, what what would happen to us if we begin to do that? Look in verse nine. I know I've got you nervous. Look at the first two words in that verse. Now, God, we need some now, God moments. But now, God, moments don't happen until you make a stand. Daniel made a stand. Now, God. See, here's the deal about guardrails. Not only do guardrails protect, guardrails also direct. I believe with all of my heart that when Daniel made that decision to take a stand, God said, Now I can begin to direct your life. You have made a stand. And now, not only am I going to protect you, I'm going to direct you. I'm going to set you apart, and you are going to be used for my glory. I, I, I just wonder what would happen if some of us would make a stand. Could it be that God would then set us apart so that we could move forward into our destinies like we've never seen. See, it's, 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 we, we've got to get there. We've got to move on. Uh, and, and so verse 9 begins to lay this out, and it, and it goes further. It says, now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. See, once Daniel made a stand, could, could it be, let, let me just throw this out there. Could it be that your next promotion, your next success, is waiting on you to make a decision before you know the outcome. Could it be that you say, you know what, I will not. I, I, I love, I, and I'm going to get in trouble for mentioning a, a brand, but I love Chick-fil-A because Truett, Kathy, his sons have said, you know what, on Sunday we're going to honor the Lord. We know we can make a lot more money by being open on Sunday because all church people like chicken and they're going to come to chicken. But. But what we're going to do, instead of having fried chicken on Sunday, we're going to close our doors because we want our families to be able to worship God and we want to take a stand in our nation. Now, if a businessman can do that, why can't we all do that? Could it be that God is saying, if you'll take a stand, I'll now show up in your life and begin to direct your life? Look at verse 17. To, those, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. When? After they made a stand. After they made a decision. Look at verse 19. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hanani, Michelle, and, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. Now, now here's what I want to tell you as we bring this thing to a close, as we wrap up this whole series, we need to make up our minds before we know how the story ends. We need to go ahead. Listen, if we're going to be Christians, we need some guardrails. Everybody at work doesn't need to come to you for the filthiest, dirtiest joke. In fact, they ought to know when they start, you're going to walk out. You don't need to be the source of information on Facebook about everything gossip that goes down. Well, glory to God, I'm doing really good now. All right? You, you, you need to come to that place of saying, wait a minute, I am going to establish some guardrails. I'm, I'm going to come to that place as a believer that, that come on, we, we play so many games. We say, well, you know, Pastor, um, I, I, I know that, that if we you know, cross this line, but, but you know what, we're, we're just going to, no, no, no. When you cross that line, you open yourself up to crossing the next line. You know, we, we've made some choices as our church. This is going to offend some people I know. We've made some choices. And one of the choices we made in our church is, is that we will not baptize people who are living together. And, and people, we, we have some kickback on that at times. Well, why don't you go ahead and baptize them? They're, they're, they're pursuing God. I understand that. But, but this is an area that Scripture is clear about. And so we just say, well, we, you need to, you know, y'all need to cut that stuff out. Well, pastor, we're just living in the same house together. Really? Come on, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, we, we, I mean, we, we've made some stands. I, I want to tell you, we, we've made some stands in our church. We, we welcome anybody. We welcome people from whatever their background is, whatever's happening in their life. And, and, and my, my reference in what I just said does not mean you're not welcome in this house. We, we welcome people uh, who, who are in a homosexual lifestyle, but we've made a decision as a church that we think the Word of God teaches against homosexuality. And so we say, uh, you can come, we'll love you, but we will never approve of your lifestyle. You're, 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 you're here, you're accepted, but, but your lifestyle's not approved of, and, and we believe God's got a better way for you. And, and, we lay, and people say, oh, that's narrow-minded. No, that's biblical. That's the Word of God. Now, let me, let, me, let me just go. You know, I've said for years, I, I believe that gossiping is as big a sin as what I've just talked about. I've said for years, if you could smell gossip on the breath like you can smell alcohol on the breath, there'd be a whole lot of people not going to church. <laughs> smell a little gossip on you today. Guardrails. Guardrails. Lord, I choose to put some guardrails in my life. I'm closing. Here's what Proverbs says. Proverbs 11.3 says, the integrity of the upright guides them. Those decisions. I don't know what your guardrails need to be. Some of you need to put some guardrails on your internet. Some of you need to put some guardrails on your relationship. Some of you need to put some guardrails in your finances. Some of you need to put some guardrails in how you live for God. All of these things. See, here's here's the deal, and I want you to get this. A lot of us live life like we're still teenagers. Now, if you are a teenager, you can still listen to this. But a lot of us, can, can you remember, especially guys, when you first got your driver's license, all you wanted to see is how fast you could go. I mean, I, I remember the first car I had, if my mom had knew, knew how fast that car went, she would have never let me buy it. It had a 445 four-barrel carburetor in it. And one night, I, I shouldn't tell, one night it had a round speedometer on it that did 120, and I pegged it here and broke the speedometer. I mean, I, I, I wasn't thinking about Jesus. I wasn't thinking about my future. I was just saying, how fast can this thing go? But you know what? At that point in life, that's really not, you know, it's, it's important, but it's not. But I tell you what, the first day you put that car seat in the back seat, your whole paradigm changes. It's not how fast can it go, it's how safe can I be. Some of you are still living your spiritual life like a 16-year-old, as close to the edge as you can get. But the problem is, is that you're not just impacting your life. There's some precious cargo on board. And what you've got to do is come to a place of saying, you know what? Even if some things aren't as important as I thought they were, I'm going to place some guardrails in my life for my future. Because if I want my children to have this idea, if I want my mate, if I want the people that I work with to live a certain way, then I need to live the same way. And I believe that's what God calls those of us who are believers, that's what he says to us to do.